So for folks that I have not met before, uh, my name is Georgina Donahue. I am the Director of Community, uh, and we have the Pragmatic Alumni Community that we affectionately call it uh, the PAC. Um, and so that is a place that is really designed to just dig really deep into the practical, the tactical, the hands-on tacit knowledge um, that your peers can share with you. So uh, if you are an alumni of Pragmatic, um, uh, you're, you're really missing out if you're not hanging out with us in there. Um, I encourage you to post a question for your peers and I guarantee that you will get some real world answers. Uh, the other really cool thing that the uh, PAC allows us to do is connect with thought leaders and innovators like OG. Um, so in this conversation, um, we can pop to the next slide now. Um, you all know uh, what you're here for. Um, we are going to have a conversation today about how to manufacture lightning in a bottle. Right. Um, and so, of course, our guest of honor today um, is OG Odezawe. He is the chief product officer at Parsable. Um, and previously, he served as a product leader, innovator, and executive at Calendly, Atlassian, and Microsoft. So, among others. Um, so, really, really wonderful experience across a lot of different environments. And spoiler alert uh, innovation isn't magic. It's not. Um, and today, I'm really excited to talk to OG because he's going to share why uh, and also discuss how and why a really well-designed product system is what's sitting at the heart of every innovative organization, right? Um, and so OG is going to provide some insights that he learned while working across all of those different environments, different products, different companies on how you can be really intentional about how you build so that you can hit that big success button every single time, right? So we're going to walk through a product system that includes all of the practices, principles, tools, rituals, et cetera, all that really good stuff, super hands-on, super tactical, um, so that you can use all of OG's brilliance and apply it to, uh, to your work today. Um, so without further ado, you don't want to hear me talking, you want to hear him. So I pass it over to you, OG. Super excited to have you here today. Hi, everybody. Can you hear me, uh, Georgina? Yes, okay, we can. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for that great intro. Um, I, I could almost hear the drum roll in my head at the end of your, <laughs> your monologue. And I, I feel, I feel you, know, you know how shy I am, though. I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> hi, everybody. It's good to see you. Um, it's good to meet all of you virtually. Hopefully, we can have uh, a good time today. Uh, we have only a few minutes, I think, maybe like 35 minutes if I'm wrong. So um, we might not be able to dive into a ton of detail um, about all the different parts of the product system, or at least all the different examples of the product system. But we'll try to get to a place where we can add you know, whet your appetite enough to ask questions. So um, without further ado, let me just set this up. So um, I, I want to tell you a little bit about myself and why you should even listen to me at all, because I think that's important. Uh, and I'll tell you what I'm about to tell you. So I've been a product manager for over 20 years. Um, and I've been through you know, zero to one, I built a startup. I've done thousands to millions. I've done uh, millions to billions at Microsoft. And so um, the thing I'm about to share with you is born out of that experience of what I've seen, uh, you know, through a variety of different kinds of product companies. So let's, let's go. <clears throat> so uh, if you want to know a little bit about me, um, this is me. This is how I look. I guess I look the same on video. Um, and this is how to pronounce my name, Aji Udezwe. Uh, I'm a product manager, uh, like I said, but I've had the, I've taken some adventures. I've done some marketing, uh, I've run design teams, I've been a founder, an investor. Uh, you can see where my name comes from. I used to hate the name, but it's super meaningful to me now uh, because it was super odd growing up. Uh, you know, kids don't want to sort of stand out too much. Um, if you have questions about that, I'm happy to answer it. Um, and yes, I am the IT support for my family for, for work from home, which is, uh, and I don't get paid for it. So I'm very mad about that. <laughs> so, uh, I think of myself as a product and design leader, uh, with some breath, um, 
Georgina talked about some of the companies I've been through. I'll go through some of that. I've also been an entrepreneur and I do a lot of uh, mentoring and investing in because I love startups. I love people who are building the future. I do uh, I mentor at Techstars. Uh, Kernel Fund is a fund I started that invests in companies in Africa, uh, tech companies in Africa. And I help prepare women, people of color to be funded through their businesses, usually related to technology. And I've done some M&A as well. Uh, Atlassian County, Microsoft is some of the most important companies I've worked for. I like to tell people, uh, because of the time I spent a decade at Microsoft, that every time they open windows, there's a little bit of my soul trapped in it. So be gentle. Um, <laughs> be gentle. Also, Mingle is a company that I started. It no longer exists, uh, but I learned so much from it. I was trying to build an interest-based social network. I guess the thing also is that I was uh, chief product officer of um, Parsable until very recently. And now I lead the team that works on the conversation products at Twitter. So that means that all tweets go through my team. So that's what I'm doing these days, which um, is very challenging, uh, but I love challenge and also love to build product systems so we can build faster and build better. <clears throat> All right. Um, are we ready? All right, let's dive in. So the reason I'm talking about systems of innovation is that, you know, the cycle of innovation is a founding team has some kind of insight about a problem or um, a condition or some future opportunity and they go after it. And, you know, maybe like 5% of the time or even less, they are, they are lucky, their insight, their experience, subject matter expertise has prepared them for the, for the time and for the challenge. And they build software that resonates with customers. Now there's a lot of drop off, which is why I said 5%, because even if you have insight and then you can't get the user experience right, or you don't know how to solve problems in software, right? Or you're not a subject matter expertise, you know, you can often miss it. And so let's assume you're part of that 5% or less and you nail it. Um, and it, it, it can even be a startup, but it can even be a big company. It doesn't matter, right? The same same sort of thing goes. goes. Um, you now have something, hopefully, has product market fit. But the problem you have now is how to sustain this, how to make the next thing something that customers love, and how to make the next thing something that customers love, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the problem we have, I feel like, is a lot of companies aren't, regular hit makers and so what i want to tell you about is how to how to think about being regular hit makers now that's what i call catching lightning in a bottle like don't make it episodic staggering innovation you know you get lucky every uh every couple of quarters or something like that you want to be uh just reliable if you're early stage this is important because Frankly, you you might run out of money. There, you know, there are other threats and competition, so you really can't afford to make too many mistakes. When I was at Calendly, we I used to call it like we gotta be on target all the time. We try to kill four or five birds. If we could kill twenty birds with one stone. That was amazing. So um, <clears throat> I'm gonna talk through how to think about that consistency that brings innovation as a fabric of your organization and how to think about it. Um, and I think that's it. That's really what I want to try to convey. Um, before I jump right in, I'll, I'll just caveat to say, look, I'm not a process person, really not. Um, I hate it. But if you are going to scale your company, you have to think about creating what I call the floor of innovation so that people who come off the street from college who are hired newly have a system they can use to be reliably on target with your customers. All right, so I think there are uh, uh, one more piece. If you, I'm a big student of um, software history, yeah? So 
what that means is that, you know, I have an engineering background and a product background as well. So maybe like 15, 20 years ago, we invented the whole thing called Agile, right? Does anyone know why we did that? Like, why did that come out of our industry if you're in software? I'd love to see maybe some guesses in the chat, potentially. What was the problem that Agile was trying to solve? I know we've got Agile folks on the line, so I encourage you to pop those into the chat. All our <laughs> all our POs and all of our uh, Agile aspiring folks. Um, looks like we've got some answers in here already, OG. Uh, yeah, no, I, I see that. It's almost said to keep PMs off devs' backs. So that's very funny. Um, <laughs> The, the problem with the, the problem that Agile was trying to solve was just predictability. You know, teams would come up with an idea, do waterfall, and then they will try to estimate the unestimable, right? This is going to take two years. Well, the fact is, we're not soothsayers. <laughs> we, we're not, we have no crystal ball. And everything we do, because we're playing God with, with, with code, is unpredictable and risky. And if you try to you know, I did probability in college, and if you try to combine probability, it becomes completely unstable system. And so developers who had something to do for a year would try to say, here's when we're gonna land it. And there's no way, like, it just makes no sense. And so breaking it down into smaller pieces that are sort of concatenated, allowed you to make predictions about the near term, learn enough to make predictions about the next near term, et cetera, et cetera. That's a macro problem we're trying to solve. So the engineers amongst us created a development system to deal with uncertainty and risk. If you're a PM, you have the same kind of problem and PMs haven't solved it, which is what I'm talking about, repeatability, because our system is more complicated. It has people in it. It has tools in it. It has unpredictable customers in it, and it has developers in it, okay? So we almost have maybe 5x the problem that they have. So these product systems, the way to think about it and conceptualize it is, what is our version of Agile as PMs? How do we bring it together and manage the risk in the system given all the unpredictable ingredients that we have? So uh, the first thing is systems for people. Everything starts with people. This is the most important thing to me. Um, I try to build great teams. Great product comes from great teams. So if you don't think about people in a very, very forensic, anthropological, scientific way, you will eventually not succeed. Okay? And we'll dig into that. And then strategy is really about direction, right? Uh, once you go beyond product market fit, you have, instead of having customers drive development, you now have two forces driving your development. You have your ambition as a company because now you have repeatable income and you have your customers and you have to balance those two things. In fact, all of PM is impudence matching ambition of a company with what customers want. That is where success lies, right? That impudence matching, which is what PMs ensure. So you have to have systems of strategy because if you, as you know, if you miss your direction and you have a very long distance, when you get to the end, you could be miles apart from where you want to be, right? So that's very important. And of course, execution. Now, execution isn't coding. It is PM craft. It's cross-functional. It is uh, how do you examine ideas? How do you create roadmaps, et cetera? So we'll dive into some of those things. So is everyone still with me? One of the things that I've said teaching a class recently and people snap their fingers when they're with me. So wherever you are, please snap your fingers. Um, I won't hear it, but I'll feel good. <laughs> so uh, uh, the question for leaders in the room, when you think about people, and actually it's not just for leaders because I want ICPMs to also be invested in product systems. In fact, here's a hack for your career. If you're an ICPM, you're very busy. But one hack, one way to get promoted is find time to work on the product systems. Find time. Now, sometimes the product system is not written down. In fact, 90% of the time, it, is, it isn't written down. But as I explain these things, you'll be able to sort of connect to the things that are systems around you and try to improve them. And that will make you 
that will probably get you promoted in, in addition to your work. So the question for the leaders is, you know, what is your approach, you know, and what methods do you, do you use to connect to your people, their skills, their ambition? How do you assess people coming in? How do you improve them as they go, right? Um, how do you connect that to the heart of what your company needs? So a good people system, right, will essentially leverage the talent you have. I can't tell you how many organizations who have very smart people, put them in the wrong places, at the wrong level, or tell them exactly what to do so they don't use your creativity. And you've made all this investment and you're not getting anything out of it. Um, you know, good product people understand that they are not the source of all uh, intelligence and smarts and all the solutions. It's about people. So uh, ICs can do this, use your squad. Leaders can do this uh, as well. So a couple of things to think about in terms of, of uh, systems, right? Different levels of the problem. One is that you have to design your org for the mission, right? Uh, not just the product mission, but think like a military, right? Um, where are you in the market? What are the best people doing? How are they organizing their divisions? There's a lot of alpha in, there's a lot of alpha in how you organize because a lot of organizations shift their org structure, right? Um, what talent do you already have? Do you have very senior people, in which case you can deal with hard problems? You have very junior people and so on and so forth. And also, if that's your reality, how do you get from there to where you want to be? So um, think about what you want to accomplish and then think about an organizational design that gets to that. You know, one of the things I suffered from when I was building my startup was I had very junior engineers, right? And so some of the harder problems I wanted to solve was just super hard. Meanwhile, if I had a very senior team, it would have been much, much easier to do. So try to design your organization to the level of difficulty and context of your mission. So that's one of the first things. There's no singular org design, but there's enough in the world that if you have a clear sense of your mission, you can get to something good. The second one is try to map roles you need to the organization, not just the people you have in front of you, but ask yourself, what do you need, right? Um, you know, um, it, one of the things I'm doing at Twitter right now is trying to design an organization. And I took all the people out of it. There's a bunch of people in the organization and I just took them all out, right? And I said, I need this, I need this, I need this. These are the chess pieces. And once they felt good, then I'd put the people back and say, are these people the right people in these places? Not so I'll get rid of people, but because I needed, so I couldn't just build it around the people that existed. Does that make sense? <clears throat> all right, so the last thing is assess and assign. So this is related to, well, not the last thing, this is related to how people come into the organization and how people move up in the organization. Um, yesterday, I'm teaching a PM bootcamp and I walk the class through the very intentional design of the recruiting I did at Calendly. There were five traits I was looking for. There were five interviews to get to those, to get signal on those traits. Yeah. And we tried to do that in a very disciplined way. And when we understood the signal for those traits is how we made hiring. Now, the thing that will blow your mind is that those are the same five traits that we have in our, org, in our, in our career ladder, right? So we go from hiring people to assessing them in the same consistent way and how they move up in your organization, right? So assess on the way in, keep assessing and keep growing. Now. I don't want assess to feel like it's uh, all about reviews, no. It's about the things you need to encourage that people should get better and better at. Your ability to say, here's how a person at this stage works. Here's how the person at this stage works. Here's how to encourage a person and give them the experiences to get to the next stage. For example, one of the things we, I write is, here are the leadership experiences. Every PM needs leadership experiences. So, 
at this level here, the leadership experiences you should do, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> so, and then the last thing is coaching and evaluation. Uh, I like to hire an organization. Um, I like to hire an organization that is, uh, I think like a bell curve, right? Senior PMs in the center, right? More of them. Leaders on one end of the spectrum and maybe APMs and junior PMs on the other end. The reason I try to do that is because um, you want an organization that can mentor itself, right? If I don't have that and I have all junior people, I'll spend a ton of my time with them at various levels of expertise, and that's tiring, right? And so senior PMs can mentor, even if not manage junior PMs, right, and build their management skills. The more senior people can manage the senior PMs, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, uh, so that's that's what I, well, that's what I set up, right? And that way, you can constantly and consistently use your principles, your rubric, your ladder to evaluate and coach people to the very next level. Uh, one of the things that I try to do is my ambition, anyway, is to run what I call a 99 percentile team. Uh, I want to evaluate and coach people to be poached. People will think they're so great, they want to kidnap them from me. And, uh, you know, if, you, if you're if you structured, you can't do that if you're completely unstructured, right? You can't do that if it's just the funniest person gets all the attention, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so you need to be very thoughtful about that. And you'll not only get productivity, but those people will thank you because they will become great in their career and they'll become part of your network. <clears throat> so let's... Uh, I'm sure there are more questions about this. I sort of touched on a few things very quickly. I'm going to do a quick time check. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about another fundamental system, which is like setting direction. Um, two things before I jump in. One is we're always setting direction at some level of abstraction or not. Now, people worry, when can I do strategy? <clears throat> well, Strategy is about directions, about choosing what to do and what not to do, and every PM does that. <clears throat> and the frameworks you use to be able to do that repeatedly, including decision frameworks, uh, are very, very important. Uh, so you're going to be clarifying, even if you don't set it, you're going to be clarifying direction uh, for most of your career, uh, even if it comes from the top down. So a couple of things uh, to talk about in terms of uh, Strategy, setting strategy. So the first one is shared reference, which is context, guiding principles. Like how do you, well, how do, how do we, one of the ways I express this at Cali was just some principles of how we do product. What are the things you agree to? We, you know, at Atlassian, um, one of the customer principles we had was we would bend over backward, take any cost, not to uh, cause the customers to have pain. And that clarified when we set direction, what the things that we would do and things that we would not do. Another dimension of shared, uh, uh, shared reference is also spending time to collect information about the world around you. No business lives in isolation. So what's your competitive environment? What is, where is the puck skating to? So uh, good direction has a lot to do with what's happening in the world around you that is going to affect your near future. It's also what kind of principles, how do you want to be? Like, how do you everyone agree um, that product should be built or ethics or those kinds of things that you set ahead of time? So that's one space to be very clear about. The second one is the problem to be solved, right? The, the coda here is also what customers have solved it for. Like, at Cali, we had clear, ideal customer profiles. We never try to solve for everyone in the world. We, and we ranked those ICPs. Uh, so be very clear about who you will solve the problem for and be very clear about what problem you're solving for them. Um, one of the things I tell my students is, um, there are three workflows to think about when you're building products. It's the workflow you want to make better. Yeah. 
that's a problem you want to solve. People have the, the workflow is clunky. You want to make it better. You want to make some money at it. But before that workflow, something's happening before then that causes the need for that thing. And after the thing is done and people are successful, there's something else they do right after. So you want to understand those things. So that's just a throwaway, but I just want to make sure that you understand that the problem to be solved can be broad. Because once you understand those three things, then you can, over time, take adjacencies uh, through your direction setting. The other one is the criteria for decision. How do you decide um, if something, a hill, is worth taking, uh, for example? Um, so this is very important. You know, uh, I'll give another example at Calendly. Um, we went after things, first of all, that were had zero workarounds. So we went after the hardest problems. Uh, we went after things that solved problems for multiple of our customers, not just one, right? Whenever we could. Um, we went after money, like things that were high, that were like uh, high commercial intent. We went after those things. So you have to have a clear sense of how do you make a decision on what direction to take. And the last one, this, the, the fourth one is you have to be able to diverge, right? A principle we expressed was try to think about a year's arc of problem solving, right? Don't think about a problem in a quarter. You should build around a quarter, but think about the problems a little wider so that your search space and your solution space can be big. And then once you understand where you're going, you can boil down a quarter's worth of work to do. The reason is, if you think about a problem just for a quarter or not big enough, you build, and when you learn more about the problem, maybe a third of the thing you built is no longer relevant, and you don't have all the resources to keep doing that stuff. And then the last one is just signing off and buying in. Uh, the thing with direction setting, whether it's at the squad level, at the executive level, at the board level, is that realities come to buffet it. Right? So you have to have a reliable system for getting buy-in. So the best way to illustrate some of this stuff is how we did product at Calendly. First of all, we had a ritual around what problem do we solve? And we called this specific thing happened every week. And then we had another ritual around design, like what form and function should it take? And then when we, when all that happens every week, but once a month we met with the executive team and we got buy-in and feedback about the things that we were saying we were gonna solve. The reason is we wanted them to sign in blood so that if we went after it, we could actually get to the end of it. So you need to have some, some you won't believe how many organizations reverse decisions after people have spent months on it. It's just, it's kind of insane. All right. <laughs> um, so, um, so really here is, you know, expand what you agree on, right? Clarify the problems to solve, uh, align on the criteria for this decision, define the problem space very broadly, and make sure you negotiate what uh, the target is and what you're going after. The last thing I'll say about this before we talk about execution is, um, these contracts, these ways of being for strategy and for direction setting have to be written down. They have to be written now. If they're not, it's hard to trace and it's hard for decisions to stick. At Parsable, I taught the organization how to make decisions in a disciplined way. And the first run through, I decided to run that process. And at the end, I wrote a what I call a DACI document about a very key direction decision. That document saved the organization hundreds of man hours. Because once it was written, when the issue was relitigated in future meetings, all people had to do, the engineering team, the product team, was pull it up and say, this is, we went through a very thorough process and this is what we decided. And so writing things down is huge. Uh, whether it's big strategy or small strategy. Another right, quick tip for PMs early on in their career as well. So 
uh, I'm trying to land this plane and I want to talk about, by the way, I don't have, I, uh, yeah, on my side, I, I have something that says 91 slides. No, it's much shorter than that. <clears throat> so execution is really all the things we do from idea all the way to customer value. So it's not code, but it's what PMs are doing, what designers are doing, what PMMs are doing, uh, what engineers are doing, and how all those things connect. Now, as you scale, you have more people, you have more disciplines, and if you're not careful, what happens in a startup is conversations used to be high bandwidth with so few people, but now there's a lot of crosstalk. You have to manage those conversations. You have to decide what is going to stick versus what people are going to litigate. So it's developing that team ballet, right, where people are handing off the ball very easily. They are passing it. They understand what they're supposed to do, right? It's developing methodologies and approaches that help reduce execution risk. Um, there's no single way to run product operations of any size. But you have to put some things in place, and frankly, you have to have shared understanding of how you run place. It's like a basketball team or a football team, you know, Omaha, Omaha, whatever that is, right? Those are plays. Your team has to have some plays to solve some basic problems. Well, here's our play for, um, you know, uh, the whole service is down. Here's our play for we have a lot of competitive pressure and we have to spin up a new project. Here's our play for, you know, this is a very strategic two-year investment. We got to be very careful up front of how we think about it, right? Here's our play for um, all different things. And what I'm saying, what I'm saying isn't, uh, I'm not making this stuff up. Literally, in the playbook that I have, it's like, here's how to start a high-risk project. Here's how to start a regular project. Here's how to start a low-risk project. Here's how to start a project that takes two weeks because we're in a hurry, right? So that people can understand the basic process, but how to skip things depending on the situation if they need to, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Can I get some snaps? <laughs> All right, thank you very much. Um, creating systems of execution help you reduce execution risk, right? Uh, and it's really about solving uh, three core things. How do you manage and allocate resources, right? How do you, how do you, what's the playbook, right? I just described some things that I try to write down in the playbook. And how do you align your organization, right? Um, so, managing your resources is really about can we do it? In many ways, this goes back to sort of the systems of people. Do you have the right talent to take on this challenge? It's something you have to think about. But not only challenge, what the DNA, yeah? Have you seen a company solve a problem that it can technically? We don't have the DNA for? Well, look at, I don't mean to rag anybody, but look at Google, right? Messaging. Google can build anything in the world, right? But it can't nail messaging. RCS, uh, Hangouts, all kinds of things. I, I, I don't know what it is. It baffles me until this day. I've competed with them. But can you do it? Do you have the DNA to do it? And then how will you do it, right? Um, and how do you share this and make sure everyone understands what to do, right? Those are the systems that you have to think about. So let me dive into a few pieces of this, not all the pieces. Um, one part of can we do it is... How much of your resources are being used on building forward motion? Uh, I've been, unfortunately, I've been in an organization where maintaining the infrastructure took like 50% of all their capacity. And so they only had like 50% of capacity to build new things. And usually when you have 50% of forward moving capacity, uh, that's really hard because you actually have much less. For example, SRE, uh, emergencies, et cetera, bug fixing, you know, that's beyond just maintenance. And so identify your discretionary capacity. Uh, I like to run an organization that can work on 80% with 20% spent on maintaining the infrastructure. 
Out of that 80% of my productive capacity, I divided between maintaining the core, building more of the core product, 10% for moonshots, and about 20% for expansions, right? That kind of thing. And if I don't have that kind of capacity, I have to change what I'm trying to do. So you have to have clear investments and bets. You have to have part of the team, like I said, working on, you know, main, building the core product, building new things, etc. And then managing dependencies between teams. Right? That's really key. How do they do it? Like one way I did that at Canly was every team's constitution. Yes, we had a constitution for every team would have an, a line that says support your dependent teams so that teams could not be selfish, right? Or at least completely selfish because a lot of teams are like that, etc. So let's talk about the playbook. What frameworks do you all agree on of how you describe and frame problems? Some of it is basic around PM, good PM framework. Some of it is specific to your industry, right? And you have to externalize them. There's a document I wrote in the last two weeks called Frameworks That Will Help Every Twitter PM, right? Some of it is uh, uh, specific to the industry. Like one of the big frameworks was stolen from the founder of TikTok, for example. And I wanted every PM to know it because it was a very good framework for them to win. Um, rituals, right? Rituals are meetings. They are um, templates. They are the things that you need to pass through. You're like, for example, uh, at everywhere I've been, there is a document on why should we invest in this. Uh, there's a sort of pseudo marketing document about here's a product narrative if we nail this. Um, there are some sketches. Uh, there's obviously a design brief. Uh, there's also like a content brief, like how should we communicate this to customers in the UI uh, along with the, the external narrative. These are all rituals, right? Uh, and specific meetings where these things are reviewed. Tools, how do we do that? I like to write, again, writing things down. And so I choose a very specific set of tools to create the social knowledge fabric of an organization. And then methods, right? Methods is really about specific ways to do things. Uh, one of the key ones is how to make decisions. And it's a very specific way I coach teams how to make decisions. So um, the, the, the last thing I want to talk about is, sorry, I, I think I skipped ahead a bit. Apologies. So um, the, the other thing is alignment, right? That's the last point. That's what I was going back for. So what does each team do? How does it connect to cross-functional teams? Um, how does it meet with cross-functional teams to share direction? Um, PMs will spend a lot of time meeting with marketing, customer success. And both of it is signals from them but also information about what's happening so they can use that to serve their customers, right? Um, obviously we have at a low level, you have um, standups and so on and so forth. But I would have a meeting with all the PM leads and development leads and say, this is your organization, what's breaking? Think about organizations as a product, what's breaking, how do you fix it? So there's shared ownership. So all of these things are about aligning your organization uh, and it's around identity. What are you supposed to do? What's our mission? And how do we measure success? What's your metrics dashboard? All of those things create a lot of ownership pushed down as much as possible. So that's some examples of how to align the organization. I could go more into that, but I want to have a feeling I'm running out of time. So the last thing I want to say is that I want to pull all the way back. If you want to repeat earth-shattering innovation, I can't stress this enough. You need to build a product system that has some of the elements that I've talked about. It needs to be intentional. There's always a product system in place, but 99 times out of nine times out of ten, it's implicit. It's a hodgepodge. People have put it together over time, multiple heads of products. Uh, this is how we've always done it. 
and it's not just product. Sometimes I just had a meeting. Uh, I have had many meetings with marketing where like, we don't work well with product. We need to fix it. No one fixes it, right? Because there's no handoff. There's no ritual. There's no way to meet, to share problem spaces. To even say that marketing is part of the R&D team, which is what I do with my teams. So you want to design a product system because everyone has a different entry point. There are people coming out of college to be PMs. There are people who are switching careers. There are people who are mid-career. There are people who are experienced. How do we all agree on how? What's our constitution on how we do this? Very important work. That not only helps customers, makes the company wealthy, and hopefully us wealthy, if that makes sense. So your well-designed system is meant to level up people. You're trying to get A-plus from B-plus people, essentially. Right? The process helps elevate everybody. One of the ways I describe a product system is that it is the floor of excellence. I always encourage people, once we've written it down, to not think about it as shackles, to not think about it as handcuffs, but to feel like they can edit it. It's yours. Make amendments. If you figure out a way to do better, do it. Um, and if you have that attitude, you can have the best of both worlds. You can have a constantly evolving system that is responsive to your people. We can also have a floor of innovation so that you can guarantee customer success nearly every single time. Uh, you can find me at Audio Daysway and on my website. And uh, that's a wrap. Wow. Um, so that was fantastic. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the chat already, but there are some um, lots of lots of snaps for you uh, and lots of um, aha moments happening in there. Um, we do have some questions for you if you are up for them. I am. Great. Um, so the first one um, is one that I think that universally PMs struggle with um, because as product managers, we depend on a lot of people uh, who don't report directly to us, like sales, pre-sales, project dev, et cetera. How do you structure the organization beyond the immediate PM team to get adoption for these structures? That's a good, that's a good point. Um, I'll try to answer it if I miss it. Just call me to order. So I have stopped thinking, even though I'm a PM leader, I've stopped thinking about my sphere of responsibility as just PMs. Luckily for me, I've actually led, you know, all of R&D, including engineering and design. But in the last few years, I haven't. I've just done product um, and design and maybe like research, content, whatever, right? Like, which is good because I get to organize people better. But Regardless of whether you have control of more arms or more disciplines in R&D, there's this term I use called a shipyard, right? None of us are very effective by ourselves. And so I don't just try to optimize the PM team. I try to optimize the entire shipyard. So usually it's product, it's design, it's engineering, it's PMM with our cousins very close, customer support and customer success, right? And then Aiding all of that stuff are research, if you have, you're big enough, content strategy, et cetera, right? All in that mix. That's the shipyard. As a product leader, whatever your level, you're trying to design a system that stitches all that together, right? That's what you're trying to do. Now, how do you do that? You spend time using those words of common destiny with engineering, with design. Now, people are people, people might resist you, but in the end, people want to succeed. So actually, I haven't found people resist me. They're very seduced by the idea. They like to work well with product and they like to work in concert. Everyone wants to do that. So often I find willing partners to say, here's how we should do things together, right? And you know, it requires um, EQ, it requires, sometimes it requires being mad or, being unreasonable, etc. all the tricks of leadership. But I would encourage you, I think a lot of things are about framing. How do we as a product team work with engineering know? How does the shipyard work together? Think about it that way. I think you'll start to find solutions, if that helps. Awesome, I love the shipyard analogy. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I've got some other questions here. Um, really quickly, as I'm reading this next question, um, we have a poll for you um, from our team. Um, so as I'm uh, reading this question, if you can fill out that poll, that would be fantastic. So here's the next question for you. Um, what are some ways to prioritize problems to be solved, especially, and I think specifically, if a startup doesn't yet have a user research group? Um, how do you kind of, how do you hack it? Yeah, so um, from my perspective, user research starts with product, product managers. In fact, I think that the most, um, the best ideas come from immersion with customers. And immersion isn't just listening, looking at, uh, you know, like metrics dashboards. It's about scheduling talking to your icps regularly so at Calendly, we would you know make pms do support tickets just immersion each individual ticket wasn't that valuable but doing a lot was um we would schedule calls or just as Calendly with customers from our community for example who wanted to engage uh and then we struggled to to schedule with unengaged customers were occasionally uh, successful. So what every PM has to figure out, know how to ask open-ended questions, not leading questions, to do their own customer research. I actually like to use research for the hardest problems. What is going on with churn overall, right? Um, is there a new customer segment that we're ignoring, right? These are hard questions for any one PM to address unless they spend all their time addressing it. And so the way I think about it is that PM should solve the easiest 20% of customer research. And I use my research team to solve the hardest 80%. Um, so all this is to say PM should be customer research as much as possible. This is hard in a, in a big organization. Um, but honestly, you should fight against it. I try to give PMs license to spend 20% of their time with customers and to cancel meetings that are rubbing them of that time. So that's what I would say. Um, do it yourself, get outside the building. And then if there are aggregate problems that is very hard for you to do, then have customer, have research do it. Uh, one quick spot question. Um, folks are asking if you can confirm uh, the meaning of ICPs. Ideal customer profile. That's what so, they get that. Yep, thank you. <laughs> ideal customer. So there's the world, right? And then there's like, okay, I want, I'm targeting marketers. I'm targeting salespeople. Oh, and it's not just every salesperson, it's inbound salespeople. I'm targeting inbound marketers. I'm targeting uh, advisory teams and colleges, etc. So you should know who is most responsive to your product center them in understanding and customer understanding and research and immersion. And as you go and rank them so that you can say, you know what, for salespeople, I want to be a nine over 10 in, in PMF. And for educators, I, I'm okay with a five, right? For whatever reason it is. Um, and that helps you focus. There's no such thing as des designing for everybody. It doesn't exist. So time for one more question. Uh, this one um, is a little bit of a case study uh, from someone who just started at an organization that went through an acquisition last year. Uh, now they have grown significantly, but they haven't been able to scale and set any product systems in place since then. Uh, so this asker um, has already identified the need to help put them in place, but is looking for some advice about getting started uh, to build buy-in from champions. What would you advise? Is this person a product leader or an IC? Um, I think we can assume product leader. Okay. Um, working on a product system is like trying to fix a plane while it's flying, right? And actually some of my failures, this this uh, presentation comes out of pain. <laughs> I failed at this a few times is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, so I would suggest that um, two things. One is 
you need to create space to do it. It takes time. It might take a quarter because not, not only you have to create a system, you have to co-create it because people resist something they're not part of. So you have to have some inclusivity in how you create it. And once you're done, you have to train people, right? You have to train them through the basics, uh, I, directly and through example. So if you can create a quarter, if you're a leader, to just focus on this and tell your board, tell your superiors that this is what you're going to do and create space for it, that's awesome. The other way to do it, if you're influential enough, is to hire a product operations person. Who That will be their full-time job, not only to help you create it, but to help maintain it. Again, a product system is the floor of innovation. It, it needs to be edited constantly and improved. Um, I've started to hire product operations as a way to uh, uh, edit it and maintain it. I think, of, I think of the product system as the operating system of the shipyard, yes? And so sometimes I need a I need a, a sysadmin who's my product ops to make sure that that operating system in the shipyard are working well. Oh, I lost my unmute button, um, so I got stuck there. Um, so there's a bunch more questions in here. Um, we don't have the time to tap them today. So I will encourage everybody um, who has a question uh, that didn't get to answer it, um, reach out to Aji directly. Um, he's fantastic to chat with. Um, also, if you are looking to have a more kind of robust discussion um, about some of those questions, um, Callie just popped the link to the Pragmatic Alumni community in the chat. I encourage you to post it there uh, and crowdsource some ideas and examples from, um, from other folks who have tried it before. Um, so beyond that, uh, really, this has just been absolutely a fantastic time uh, chatting with you, Aji, and I uh, really, really appreciate all of those insights. Um, my head is swimming with lots of ideas. I took notes myself, so uh, super excited about that. Um, everybody on the line, you will receive an email from us with a recording of this conversation in the next coming days, so keep an eye out for that. Um, and other than that, uh, thank you so, so much for your time. Awesome. Thanks, All everyone. Right. It's good hanging out with you. Thank you very much. Thanks for being with us, sharing uh, sharing all your insights. All right. Thanks, Georgina. Mm -hmm.